Welcome to the Harmony Christian Church Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by today's message from Pastor Josh Shoemaker. Awesome. Well, we've been, uh, we've been on a series uh, since the beginning of the year uh, called Presence is Enough, and we've been just talking about the presence of God. And um, we've, we've been all over the place with it. Um, last week, uh, I started sharing about uh, the presence of God and how um, the, the principle of beholding is becoming. Beholding is becoming. That what you look at, you begin to look like. I used the analogy last week that, that have, have you ever noticed uh, married couples? The longer they're together, the more they start looking alike, right? Yeah, Richard and Linda, again, perfect example. How many years? Almost 63 years. Do you see the resemblance, right? <laughs> yeah. Luckily, luckily for Linda, it's she's rubbing off more on Richard <laughs> than the other way around. So, but no, you you behold what you behold, you become. That's why his presence is so important. Because as we begin to stare at the beauty of the Lord, we begin to take on the image and the likeness of our Father and our Maker. And, uh, and we went into a whole lot of stuff last week on that. I encourage you, if you didn't get a chance to listen to that or to hear that, uh, to go back and listen to that message um, and, uh, and, and be able to hear some of the revelation on that. Um, but man, this week as I was preparing, I, I felt like the Lord didn't want us to necessarily, or didn't want us to leave 2 Corinthians chapter 3, um, verse 7 through 18, that we talked about last week. Um, but this, this week, I feel that we need to talk about the veil. We need to talk about the veil. So let's just pray together this morning. Jesus, God, again, we just, we are so grateful for your presence. Father, your presence is so valuable to us. And Lord, I thank you, Jesus, that, that you have chosen to come and to dwell amongst us. God, that the word says that you have made your tabernacle among men. God, that you are Emmanuel, the God who dwells with us. Jesus, we thank you for your presence. And Father, we just pray that as the word comes forth today, God, that the word would come um, not with any human wisdom, but would come with this with demonstration of the spirit and of power that our faith would not be in the wisdom of any man, but would be in the very power of God. God, I pray that your word would be in me as a fire shut up in my bones this morning. God, I pray your word would come in power and divide soul and spirit, joint and marrow. God, that we would leave today with a fresh revelation of your presence and how your presence affects us. God, we honor you today and we love you. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, in Genesis chapter 3, it says that God, or I'm sorry, it's actually Genesis chapter 1. It says that God created man in his very image and likeness. He created man. And before we move on, I want to stop there for just a moment and just breathe that thought in. That that is who you are. That the first thing God said about humanity was that they look like me. That he created you to look like him. That you are the express image and likeness of the Father. You know, oftentimes we blame our sin and our failures on our, on our humanity, don't we? Right? Like we fall, we mess up, we sin, and what do we say? 
we, we say that, that it's, it's our human nature that has caused us to sin. But I want to challenge that thought here this morning. I, wanna, I, wanna, I, think, I think it actually is like this, that you are actually never more human than when you look like him. That it's not your humanity that's at fault. That when God created mankind, he created mankind to look like him. That you are never more human when you are holy. You are never more human when you are walking in righteousness. You are never more human than when you look like him. That your humanity is not what's at fault. What actually distorts us, what actually is the problem is sin. Sin is what fractures us, not our humanity. Sin is what come, has come in and has, has, has fractured us and has caused the issue. It's not our humanity. That you are actually never more human than when you look like Jesus. Sin works against our humanity. And it's what's fracturing us. Sin distorts who we are. Athanasius, the great theologian who lived uh, just a few hundred years after Jesus, he gives this analogy. He says that we are the portrait of God. That we are the portrait of God. And sin has put stains on the portrait. So God is the prototype and he's the artist. He's, he's the model and he's the painter. And we are the canvas. And he painted us and he created us to look and act like him. And then sin comes in and stains the portrait. It distorts the portrait, okay? What happened then so, so let, me, let me just say this again. We are never more human than when we look like Jesus. So what happened when Adam and, Eve, Adam and Eve's humanity was stained? What happened when they fell in the garden? The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 3 that when they ate the fruit, that their eyes were opened and they saw that they were naked. So they took fig leaves, Right? They took fig leaves and they made coverings for themselves. They began to hide themselves. Then it says that they heard God coming in the garden. They heard God walking in the garden towards them. And it says that they hid themselves from God behind the trees. So what did they do? They veiled themselves behind the trees. They hid themselves from God. They covered themselves and they hid themselves from the Father. And this is what sin does. It causes us to make veils. It causes us to make veils to hide behind, to cover our shame and our guilt. And veils to separate us from the presence of God. And now we run away from what we used to run towards. So God made us in his image and likeness. And when we fail, when we fell, we begin to create dividing walls. We begin to cover ourselves. We begin to hide our humanity from the presence of God. And you know, veils are, are seen throughout scripture and they're used in several ways. Veils are always used to hide something or to cover something up, right? In a wedding ceremony, veils are used to hide the face of the bride, which I, I think is kind of dangerous, right? How do you know you're marrying the right person? <laughs> 
You know, someone else could sneak in there. But veils are used to hide the face of the bride, right? In the Old Testament, there was a veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies, right? The veil was, was created, the, and it says that the veil was actually four inches thick. Now, I don't know about, that's one heck of a curtain, isn't it? Four inches thick. Talk about a weighted blanket, right? But there was a veil, and what the veil's job was, was to separate the holy place, the presence of God, where God resided, where God dwelt, and it separated that place from man. So it separated man and it separated the presence of God. That veils are created to hide and to separate. And that's what happens when sin enters in, right? When sin comes, when sin enters in, we begin to put veils up to separate us from the presence of God. We begin to put veils up to hide ourselves, to hide our shame and to hide our weaknesses. And veils get put up. In Exodus 34, we read of another veil that is used. It's Exodus 34, verse 29 through 35. And I'm just going to tell you the story instead of reading it to you this morning. In this story, Moses is coming down from Mount Sinai. And he has just been in the tabernacle, in the place where God dwells, and spoken to him, it says, face to face as a man speaks to a friend. And in that place, God gave Moses the law and the commandments to give to the people Israel. And so Moses begins to make his way down the mountain. As Moses is making his way down the mountain, the people notice something different about Moses. The Bible tells us that Moses' face was shining, was glowing. And it says that Aaron, the priest, and the rest of the Israelites, when they saw Moses they were actually terrified, that it actually scared them when they saw Moses' face shining. But not only was Moses', well, actually, Moses' Moses's face was shining. Why was Moses' face shining? Because he had just come from the presence of God. And we learned this last week. We see in, in the New Testament at the Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus goes up onto the mountain and it says that he was transfigured. The word is metamorpho. It means that, that what was in him, it, it doesn't mean that, there was, that, that he was changed into something that he wasn't. It means that what was inside of him was revealed, that he was trans, transfigured. It's like, it's like the caterpillar turning into the butterfly, that within the caterpillar was the DNA of the butterfly. But the transformation takes place, and what was once hidden now becomes revealed. And that's what we see with Jesus, that as Jesus goes up to the Mount of Transfiguration to encounter his Father face to face, that, it, that his, the DNA, the divine DNA that was on the inside of him begins to show through and to come out, and you begin to see Jesus' divinity, and he is transfigured there on the mountain. And that's what's happening here with Moses. That as Moses encounters his father, the divine attributes that God put on the inside of him at the beginning of all creation, the image bearer began to bear the image of the father. So Moses comes down and the glory of God is shining on his face. And it actually scares the Israelites. But not only does Moses come down with a shiny face, 
he also comes down holding something in his hand. He comes down holding the tablets of the law, the commandments in his hand. Romans chapter 7 tells us what these commandments, what these laws do. It says that the law, the, the purpose of the law, the job of the law is to expose sin. It's to show us that we have sin on the inside of us. In fact, Paul even says in Romans chapter 7 that if it wasn't for the law, he wouldn't even have known that sin was with him or was in him. So the purpose of sin is to expose the law. So here comes Moses coming from the very presence of God. And his face is shining and glowing with the presence of God. And in his hand, he's holding the elements that expose sin in man. It's no wonder why the Israelites were terrified when they saw him. Because what they saw was this. They saw in Moses' face what they should look like. But they saw in his hand what they actually were. They saw in his face the image of the Father, who they were created to be. But in his hand, he was carrying the law, which exposed that they were not who they were supposed to be. And so what did they do? Shame covered them. Fear covered them. So what did they do? They asked Moses. They say, Moses, we need you to veil your face. We need you to put a hiding covering over the glory that is shining from your face. We need you to hide the fact that the presence of God has been on you. We need you to hide the image of the Father that you are veiling. Why did they do that? Because of shame. Because they saw in his face what they should be, but they saw in his hand what they were. And so to make themselves more comfortable, they asked Moses to hide the glory that was on his face. They asked Moses to cover up the image that they were supposed to be bearing, but were unable to bear. They hid themselves because of their shame. I think there's something interesting, though, here that's hidden in this passage. And it's this. That Moses was under the condemnation of the law just as much as the Israelites were. That Moses had sin in his life just as much as Aaron and the other Israelites did. Yet his sinful nature, yet his sin condition did not keep him from being able to go into the presence of God and stare at him face to face. And you know, it wasn't even just Moses. It says that Joshua, his servant, that Joshua would go into the tabernacle with him. And it actually, I love this about Joshua. It says that even after Moses left, it says that Joshua would remain behind. And Joshua would just sit in the tabernacle in the presence of God. But both Moses and Joshua, both of them had the same sin problem that the Israelites did, yet, the, yet it did not, their sin condition did not keep them from being able to go in to the presence of God. 
And I think that is fascinating, that the reality of their sin condition did not disqualify them from being in the presence of God. In fact, I would argue to say that it is only in the presence of God that your sin condition can be healed. It's only by going face to face with the Father that your sin condition can be healed. It's only by staring at the image bearer that your image can be restored. And that's why he became Emmanuel, God with us. You know, we often say, I think people think that God sees sin as this kryptonite, right? Like it's Superman's kryptonite, that that's God cannot even look upon sin. There's only one problem with that. It's not biblical at all. What happens when Adam and Eve fall into sin? What's God's initial response when Adam and Eve fall into sin? He goes to them. He goes, Adam, where are you? He begins to seek out Adam when he falls into sin. God doesn't run away from sin. God runs towards the person who has fallen into sin. All throughout the Old Testament, you see Noah gets drunk, right? Moses has all of his issues. David allegedly possibly raped someone. He definitely committed adultery and he committed murder. Yet he's a man after God's own heart. In the New Testament, you see Jesus uh, he, you see Jesus eating at the table with, sinner, with known sinners and known, known people who have committed all these acts of vileness, and he's eating supper with them. In one passage in John chapter 8, the religious leaders bring a prostitute in front of Jesus, and they want Jesus to condemn them and to throw stones at her. And what does Jesus do? He gets down on her level. He begins riding in the dirt, and he locks eyes with her. He doesn't run from her. He doesn't shun away from her. He looks towards her. He grabs her gaze and her attention. Another instance, he's walking along the road and there's a man named Zacchaeus that is hiding up in a tree. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, was a wee little man, was he? So he climbed up in that sycamore tree and then Jesus, Jesus sees Zacchaeus in the tree and what does he do? He says, Zacchaeus, come on. We're going to your house. And Zacchaeus, who was a known crook, who was a tax collector, who everyone hated and reviled, he goes over, Jesus invites himself over to his house and has dinner with Zacchaeus. Jesus so spends time with people that are classified as sinners, as vile people. He so spends time with them that the religious leaders begin to question why this religious man is spending so much time with all these sinners. Jesus does not run away from sinners. Jesus does not hide from your sin. Sin is not his kryptonite. Crypt, that, that, that Jesus is sin's kryptonite. So Moses doesn't run away. Even though Moses has the same sin problem as the rest of the Israelites, it does not disqualify him from running into the presence of God. And I want to encourage you in this this morning. If you are dealing with sin in your own life, if you are dealing with issues in your own life and you have guilt and you have condemnation, what that guilt and condemnation usually does is it causes us to put a veil of separation between us and the Father. And I want to tell you today that you don't need to run away from the Father, but you need to run into his presence. 
you need to run into his presence and that it's in his presence that sin is dealt with, that guilt is dealt with, that condemnation is dealt with, that shame is dealt with in his presence, in his presence. Thank you, Jesus. God doesn't create the veils. We do. It was Adam and Eve that created the veil. They're the ones who sowed the fig leaves. They're the ones who hid behind the trees. It was Moses and the Israelites who put the veil over his face. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. That you don't have to remain distant because the blood of Jesus cleanses you from all unrighteousness and gives you the ability to approach the Holy of Holies with confidence and assurance. So let's recap a little bit here. Adam and Eve were corrupted by sin and it caused them to create a veil to cover their shame and to hide themselves from the Father. Then Moses comes from the presence of God. His face radiates with the glory of God, but he is also carrying the law which exposes the sin that is in each of us. So because they saw Moses' face They saw in Moses' face what they should be, but in his hands what they were not. Their shame caused Moses to cover, to veil his face. But then we get into 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And here's what it says in verse 16. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. When one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. When you turn to Jesus, when you come into his presence, there is nothing that you can hide behind. The veil is removed. The veil in, in, in the Old Testament was used, again, to hide and to separate. That because of shame, because of condemnation, we hid ourselves behind a veil. But it says here in in 2 Corinthians that when we encounter the presence of God, the veil is removed and now we stand before God completely exposed with nothing to hide behind. I want to ask you something this morning. What are some veils that you have put up to hide your guilt and your shame? What are some veils that you have used to separate yourselves, to hide the guilt and the shame? Maybe it's your title. Maybe it's who you have created yourself to be, right? Maybe uh, you're a minister of the gospel in some way. And you use that to hide the shame that is really lying underneath. Maybe you have a reputation of being a certain type of person and you use that reputation to hide behind the guilt and the shame that you have hiding behind that veil. What kind of veils are you using to hide your guilt and your shame? What kind of things are you using to hide the guilt and the shame, to veil yourself? But when we step into the presence of God, when we turn our face to Jesus, and this is one of the things I love about the presence of God, 
He removes that veil. You see, you can't come into the presence of God with a title. I can't go before the throne and hold up my pastor card and say, God, look, I'm a pastor. I can't go before the presence of, of God and hide behind some reputation that I can get everybody else to believe, but God sees right through it because when that veil is removed, we stand before him completely exposed and naked. And coming into the presence of God can both be a scary thing because he can see right through every facade that we try to put up. And coming into the presence of God is a thing full of joy because it's only in his presence that our true self can be reborn. So what veils are you hiding? Those veils are removed when we step in to the presence of God. So Adam and Eve found shame. When the veil was lifted, what they found was shame. What the Israelites found was shame. But here's what we find. We find a mirror. When the veil is lifted, we find a mirror. 2 Corinthians chapter 3.18 says, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit. That with unveiled face, we don't find shame. We don't find guilt. When we finally remove the veil, when the veil is taken away, when we're staring at Jesus face to face, we don't find condemnation. We don't find guilt. What we find is a mirror. And the mirror transforms us into the image and the likeness of our Father. Why a mirror? Because through the blood of Jesus, we have once again been restored to the image and the likeness of the Father. Colossians 3, 3 through 4 says, Your crucifixion with Christ has, been, has severed the ties to this life, and now your true life is hidden away in God, in Christ. And as Christ himself is seen for who he really is, who you really are will also be revealed. For you are now one with him in glory. Verse 10 says, For you have acquired new creation life, which is continually being renewed into the likeness of the one who created you, giving you the full revelation of God. What happens when the veil is removed and we stare at Jesus face to face, when we come into his presence, we begin to look once again like we were always intended to be, which is the image and likeness of our Father the image and likeness of our Father. You know, Athanasius finishes his analogy of the portrait like this. He says that the portrait was made, the artist created the portraits and then sinned, sin stained the portrait. But then he says, but here's what the artist does. The artist doesn't throw out the painting. What the artist does instead is he asks the subject of the painting to come and to sit. Once again, and then the artist redraws the image of the subject on to the same canvas. 
that here's what Jesus does. That even though sin has come and has stained, has stained us and has distorted our image, what Jesus does is he, he comes back to earth. Not just so that we can be forgiven of sin, obviously that's part of it, but so that also we can look and see what we are supposed to look like once again. To model the image for what we are supposed to, to look like. And the portrait is once again redrawn. That we behold in a mirror the image. That word image, is I said it last week, is the word icon. Or icon, I think is how you pronounce it. And it actually means the exact image and likeness. That we are tra being transformed into the exact image and likeness of the Father. That we are becoming human once again. That we are becoming holy and righteous once again, which is who he created us to be. That what is inside of us already, the DNA that is already on the inside of us, as we approach the Father, as we behold him face to face as in a mirror, we are being transformed once again into that image in the likeness of God. That's why presence is a priority. That's why this year the Lord has been speaking to us about the presence of God. It's because in his presence, it's in his presence that we are transformed into his likeness and his image. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I want to tell you a story to sum all of this up to you this morning. The story uh, is about a young girl who, um, I heard this story actually on a podcast, and uh, he was talk the, the, the person in the podcast was telling the story of a good friend of his who was a minister, who was a preacher, and who knew this young lady and knew her story. In this story, this, this young woman, this young girl, had an abusive father who would regularly, regularly beat her and abuse her. And not only did he physically abuse her, he would also verbally abuse her and emotionally abuse her. And he would say things to her like, you are the ugliest person on the world, in the world. That no one will ever love you. And, and here's the thing he said to her the most often. He said, your eyes are so ugly. He said, you, the color of your eyes reminds me of cat feces. And he would regularly, every day, speak this over his young girl, over his daughter. And he would abuse her and he would beat her. And so every night she would go to bed and she would pray that God would change the color of her eyes. That he would change the color of her eyes so that her dad would finally accept her and would finally love her. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to find this dad, don't you? <laughs> but every night she would pray this prayer. One night, one day, finally, one of her friends from school invites her to come to a youth gathering. And so she goes to the youth gathering. And at the youth gathering, she encounters the love of God for the very first time. 
She encounters the presence of God. And in the presence of God, her whole mindset, her whole thinking process, everything is completely transformed. And for the first time ever, not only does she feel the love of God, she feels love for the first time ever, period. And it completely changes her view of herself. And she realizes that I am accepted, that I am beautiful, because the Father sees me as that way. And she goes home from that youth meeting excited. And when she gets home, she comes home to her angry dad who again takes his anger out on her and abuses her and does all of these things that he always does. But this time it was different. This time she didn't even care because she had encountered the presence of God and the love of God. And so she goes to bed that night and for the first time ever, she doesn't pray that God would change her eyes because she knows that she is already beautiful. The next morning, she wakes up. She goes into the bathroom to brush her teeth, and she looks into, her, into the mirror, and to her amazement, she sees the most beautiful crystal blue eyes. And she begins welling up with joy and with tears, and she begins yelling, God, change the color of my eyes. He changed my eyes. And she is so excited. She runs down to her friend's house that took her to the youth group because she just can't wait to show somebody that God changed the color of her eyes. And she goes to her friend, and she opens the door, and she goes, look, look, God changed the color of my eyes. My eyes are beautiful now. My eyes are beautiful. And her friend looks at her, and he goes, she goes, what are you talking about? That's the color your eyes have always been. My friends and I, we always talk about how beautiful your eyes are and how incredibly blue your eyes are. In the presence of God, the veil was removed. She began to mirror who she really was. And she was able to see for the very first time that she was beautiful all along. And that's what happens to us when the veil is removed. We thought we would find shame. We thought we would find something ugly and unforgivable. But instead, what we see is his image. His beauty, his splendor is actually imprinted on us. That's why I said last week that in his presence, we're not just only supposed to see that he's beautiful and he is, but in his presence, it also reveals that we are beautiful as well. We carry his image, we carry his likeness, and in his presence, that image and that likeness, that DNA, the divine nature, that we are partakers of the divine nature, that that image is brought forth, that what is once invisible and hidden on the inside of us, that in his presence, that thing is exposed and we begin to radiate the glory in the image of the Father. It's in there, ladies and gentlemen. It's who you were created to be. It's who you were created to be. You are never more human than when you are holy. You are never more human than when you are like Jesus and we become like Jesus. The stain on the portrait is taken away when we behold 
him. When we stand in his presence with unveiled faces and the mirror reflects the image of the Father and we are transformed, we are metamorphosized, transfigured into the image of the one who made us. Let's go ahead and stand together this morning. Paul's going to come up and just play softly some music. As he's playing, I just want you to close your eyes and lay aside every other distraction. There's some in here in this room today who have been running from the presence of God because of your guilt and your shame. You have put a veil over yourself and between you and the Father because of the guilt and the shame and you're afraid that if you approach him that that guilt and shame is just going to keep getting stronger and stronger but I want to tell you today that it's in his presence that the veil is removed and you can see for the first time that he dealt with the shame he dealt with the guilt he dealt with the sin all of it was put on the cross that the veil of his flesh, Hebrews 10 says, was torn into. That his veil, or that the veil of his flesh was torn so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Some of you have been walking around with that broken identity, that you've seen yourself as a broken person and not as a person who is whole. You even have called yourself a Christian and a follower of Jesus, and you would, you would tell the whole world that you're a follower of Jesus, but you still see yourself as this broken and, and, and fractured human being because of sin and because of failure. And guilt and shame and condemnation has been on your shoulders and you've been walking around with that. Some of you even for years, some of you even most of your life, you have walked around with the guilt and the shame and you have, you have put different veils up, you have hid behind different things to try to cover up the guilt and the shame. And today I wanna to tell you that the veil is removed, that as you turn your face to Jesus, that veil is removed and you're not going to see guilt, you're not gonna see an angry God, you're not gonna see condemnation. What you see instead is a father who holds up a mirror and says, you now look like me. That my image is your image. That I have placed my image on you. That you have the imprint of the likeness of the father on you. That he dealt with your sin once and for all on the cross. That holiness is not something to obtain, it's a gift. Part of the veil that hides our eyes, it even says it there in 2 Corinthians, that in the reading of the Old Testament, that veil is hidden. That veil is still over, over our eyes. And that veil is, is the, the works mentality. There's so many of us that are still trying to earn God's favor. We're still trying to earn God's love. We're still trying to earn his acceptance. 
And when we turn to Jesus and that veil is removed, what we see is that we've already been accepted all along. That we're already loved. That love is not something we earn. That holiness is not something we earn. It's a gift given to us. That righteousness was given to us through Jesus. That he, there was the great exchange and he took our sin. He took our distortion. He took our stain and he gave us his righteousness. And today in his presence, I want you to see for the first time, maybe for some of you for the very first time, that you are beautiful, that you are holy, that you are righteous, that in Christ there is no condemnation, there is no guilt, but that stain has been removed and all that is left is his image and his likeness. And you know what? You may be thinking, yeah, but what if I mess up and I fail again? First John chapter one, that we have an advocate with the Father, that if we sin and we bring it before him, that if we expose it to the light, that he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from sin every single time. We don't run away or hide from his presence. We run into his presence because in his presence, we become who we are meant to be. Paul's going to sing this song for a little bit. As he's singing, I just want to tell you that the altar here is open. If anybody feels like they need to come up to the altar to pray or would like one of us to pray with you, we would love to pray with you this morning. If you want, you can also just stay there in your seats, but I want everybody in this room to turn your attention to the face of God. Stand before him today without any veils, without any hiding places. And allow him to come in and remove your shame and your guilt. Allow him to come in and show you who you really are this morning. Caught up in your I just want to sit here at your feet. I'm caught up in this holy moment. Never want to leave. Oh, I'm not here for blessing. Jesus, you don't
just gone through the motions. I'm sorry when I just sang another song. Take me back to where we started. I opened up my heart to you. I'm sorry when I've come with my agenda. I'm sorry when I forgot that you're enough. Take me back to where we started. I opened up my heart to you. I'm caught up in your presence. I just want to sit here at your feet. I'm caught up in this holy never want to leave. Oh, I'm not here for blessing. Jesus, you don't owe me anything more than anything that you can do. I just want I just want you, nothing else, nothing else, nothing else will do. I just want you, nothing else, nothing else, nothing else will do. I just want you, nothing else, nothing else, nothing else will do. I just want you, nothing else, nothing else, nothing else will do. caught up in your presence. I just want to sit here at your feet. I'm caught up in this holy moment. I never want to leave. Oh, I'm not here for blessing. Jesus, you don't owe me anything more than anything that you can do. I just want you. I just want you. Nothing else, nothing else, nothing else will do. I just want you, nothing else.
Nothing else, nothing else will do. I just want you. Nothing else, nothing else, nothing else will do. I just want you. Nothing else, nothing else, nothing else will do. just want to sit here at your feet. I'm caught up in this holy moment. I never want to leave. Oh, I'm not here for blessings. Jesus, you don't Father, your presence is enough for us. Your presence is enough for us. I want to remind you, when we talk about his presence, we're not talking about a feeling in the room. We're not talking about an experience. We're talking about a person. You know, in the Old Testament, there's not even a word for presence. The word actually just means face to face. and actually even means mouth to mouth. That when we come into his presence, we're not coming into an emotion. We're coming and we're meeting with the person. Yahweh God. Jesus himself. I want to encourage you this week as you're just live in life throughout your week. I want you to set aside time to just spend in his presence. We talked about it a few weeks ago. Even, even just take five minute breaks throughout your day where you turn your phone off, where you shut the door and you just set your gaze upon him. Where you just spend little five minute vacations in his presence. Let's learn not to just practice the presence of God just on Sunday mornings, but learn throughout our week, every day of our lives, that we learn to just live and to walk and to move in His presence. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more messages like this or information about our church, please visit HarmonyChurchFamily.org.